I'm excited to be back with you to kick off a new teaching series called Light in the Darkness. And I'm gonna invite you to turn to John chapter one, kind of a unique passage. We'll get to that in a second. But as you're turning to John one, you know, it's been a pretty tumultuous time uh, in Indiana the last few weeks, hasn't it? Um, I, don't, I don't know if you realize this, but I was supposed to have surgery uh, about two and a half weeks ago on my ear. That was very invasive surgery with lasers and drilling through my skull and all kinds of fun things. And uh, three days before it got canceled because I found out like other people in the Midwest, I had been exposed to COVID. And so then I had the joy of quarantining in my basement for many, many days and testing negative on multiple tests and finally freed. But you know, it's kind of the culture, it's kind of the season that we're in, isn't it? And you've probably had friends or loved ones. And for those who uh, have friends or loved ones who are in the hospital or hurting and see death tolls and all of that, we hurt with you. And please reach out to us if there's anything we can do. But I want to tell you today that what I'd like to focus on as we kick off this new teaching series is the hope that we have in Christ in a crazy season like this. And as I was stuck in a basement for all of that time, I want to tell you, it became very real to me how easy it is when we're hurting, when we're going through things, when we feel distant and there's darkness in our culture to turn to things to escape the reality of this world. And I want to encourage you today to face what it is that we're facing this year. We've had an election, we've had a virus, but we've had much more. We're even heading into the wintertime, which if you're not from the Midwest, you know, we all choose to live here. Why do we do that? And I'll tell you, I've been here for, uh, moved back now for a decade and I've seen, you know, you get into January and February and March and without a pandemic and without everything else going on, we always still have seasonal depression and the long you know, nights and it gets dark at like 4.30 in the afternoon and you're just like, it's a struggle. If that's you, I don't wanna make a light of anything that you're going through or will go through or to make light of the darkness that we live in. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna be real about it. But I also wanna encourage you to claim the hope that we have in difficult seasons. When, when the, the author John the, of the Gospel John is writing, he's with the Apostle John, he, he writes uh, in a culture, in a time period where it was pretty difficult to live. The Jewish people had had their land taken away from them by the Assyrians in the northern kingdom, and then the Babylonians, all of it, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and by the time of the New Testament, the Romans are in power, and they've been oppressed and they don't have some of the basic necessities that they need. There is all kinds of issues going on around them and they have to be wondering, where are you, God? We're gonna talk about that. See, I believe when we talk about the light that we have in the darkness, it's, empower, it's an incredibly powerful for a season like this. And while I've had a whirlwind couple of weeks, I still haven't had the surgery I've needed for 15 years, I know that God is still God of the universe. He's still king. He's still on the throne. And I want to talk about that this morning. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Come on. It says this in verse one of the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, if you're new to the Bible, this could be kind of confusing because people talk about the word, that's the Bible, right? But the word in John 1.1, 1, 1, it's not talking about the Bible. See, the word in Koine Greek is the, the word logos, and logos means word. And to the Greco-Roman culture, logos was this divine understanding of this higher power. 
It was something that philosophers discussed and talk about, talked about. And so an interesting thing today, we're going to look at some high level, it could seem ethereal things that John discussed, this analogy of light in the darkness, but we're going to do it in a very simple way. The, John actually, even though he, his gospel starts very different from the other gospels. In fact, you may not realize this, but usually at Christmas time, when we talk about the birth of Jesus, we talk about what? Luke. We talk about Matthew. We, we rarely ever talk about John chapter one. And in John chapter one, he gives this high level picture for thousands of years, the coming of, of Christ, the word, the logos. He was telling a culture that was looking for divinity during a hard season that that divinity you're looking for, the logos, it's found in Jesus. And so when it says the word, it's talking about Jesus in the beginning was Jesus. He was the eternally begotten son. There was not a time he was not. And the word, uh, Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That today, with the things that we have faced, the darkness still will not overcome it. That Jesus was with God, he is God, and he is still God today in what we're facing. And I wanna talk about how to claim the hope that we have in Christ. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for everybody attending at this service socially distant with you know, masks and all that stuff, but we had to add more chairs here, God, and people online attended from different parts of the country and world, and we just acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit wherever we are. God, I pray that you would take my words away from me, God, that, that aren't of you, and replace it with what you have to speak to our souls through Scripture. We love you, Jesus. We give you this morning. We surrender it to you. Pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 Does anybody like the darkness? Like you, you like it when you can't see? Okay, couple, couple of people. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. Yes. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a wimp. You're stronger than I am. I, I was always scared of the dark. Kid, I didn't like the dark. When I became a, a high school student, is the microphone cutting out? I'm going to ask you to run up a mic. Uh, come and grab it for me, Matt, and uh, I'll give you just a minute, and we'll do our best till we get there. Oh, he's just pointing at this. This is the mic that you're saying that I could grab on my own. That I, oh, I'm not going back there. You got to go find it, Matt. <laughs> Uh, what I want to share with you is that uh, I, I've always been scared of the dark. In fact, when I was a high school kid, my dad used to ask me to take the trash out, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but I didn't grow up in a suburb, so the garage was not attached to the house. So the trash cans, I had to actually go outside the house in the dark at night and go and put them in the trash cans in the garage. Now, I know what you're saying. That doesn't seem like a big deal, but you don't understand. I lived out in the country. It's scary out there. And in the middle of the night, you don't know what's lurking out there waiting for you to attack you, wild animals, criminals, beasts, I don't know, you know? So I would go out, and I'm not making this up. I, I did this, uh, thanks, Matthew. Matthew, Matt Mellinger, thanks, buddy. I, I'm, I'm not making this up. I, I literally, uh, as like a 17-year-old athlete, 
would be afraid to go outside to take the trash out to the garage. So it was only like 100 yards, maybe less, but it felt like three miles. And I would walk outside with the trash. And and this is the truth. I'm not making this up. I would run to the garage as fast as I could. I would throw open the door. I knew where the trash can was. I'd lift the lift. I'd throw the trash bag in. I'd run out. I'd slam the door behind me. Then I would sprint. I now have no bags to carry. I can go faster. So I sprint as fast as I could to the door. Then here's the key part. You know, the really bad people, they're waiting for you. They've been watching you this whole time. And just when you get to the door, they're going to jump out. And so I just knew I would run and I'd get to the door and then I would do this as I would go in the house. (laughs) Because you know the bad people, they want to cut that Achilles, baby. They want to cut that and then they're going to take you. And so I would literally, I would run, I'm not making this up. I would jump up like this. I would go in the house and I'd slam the door behind me. (laughs) I don't like the dark. You know, uh, a, a little while ago, uh, I was with my family and we did one of those escape rooms. It was very safe, just our family. We we're the only ones there. Uh, but, but have you ever done one of those escape rooms? You know, where you pay people an exorbitant amount of money to imprison you and your family? <laughs> to create anxiety and fear that you won't be able to escape and that a very low percentage of people actually make it out. So we are in there. We decided to do that to pay them some money and go in there with our children, including the five-year-old who had great suggestions how to solve things I couldn't understand. <laughs> and then we're in there and we get in there. And the first thing I noticed, I was telling my wife afterwards, you know, the kids, that was hard. And the other things that was hard, but they made it dark in there in the room. So I'm in an enclosed prison with my children in the dark, trying to solve puzzles and figure things out. I mean, I'm not going to hell because I know Jesus, but I got a picture. It's something like that. And while I was in there, maybe it was a bad analogy, but I want to tell you that I was scared of the dark again. And I got out, I told Lisa, the problem was that the dark created this like anxiety that I couldn't see and I couldn't figure it out. And she's like, I know there's something about that darkness actually can create and heighten our fear and anxiety and our worry. And the analogy that the gospel of John is using of Jesus being the light in the darkness is that the dark world around us can begin to feel overwhelming, create anxiety, fear, and worry, which by the way, those things are not of God, biblically speaking. Now it is not a sin to you know, have a, a thought of worry. It's not a sin to have a moment of fear that's part of the human condition. It's what we do with that, though, that matters. Do we turn towards the Lord? See, I, I think in this year, the most important thing that we could possibly do heading into wintertime, heading into all the things that were surrounding us in our culture and our workplace and the financial concerns is to get as close to Jesus as we possibly can. Biblically speaking, he is the light in the darkness. He is what helps us see, to bring freedom into our life, to give us hope where we feel hopeless and overwhelmed. And I want to show you using John chapter one as a launching pad at the beginning and the end, the the historical nature throughout the Bible, including hundreds of years earlier in the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, beginning in Isaiah, about the hope that we have in Christ that you could face not only 2020, but 2021 and beyond and the chaos around us, that the birth of Jesus signified that we are no longer alone in the world, that he is the light and the darkness as the gospel of John writes about over his birth. See, all the way back in Isaiah chapter nine, many of you know verse six, and we'll get to verse six in a moment. We just sang about the Prince of Peace, mighty God, wonderful counselor, 
But actually, that messianic prophecy in Isaiah, if you look at verse 2, starts like this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. If some of us today, you feel like you're living in the land of deep darkness, not just the virus, but all of the other things, people have lost jobs and people are hurting more suicides this year than the previous year already. We've had all kinds of traumatic things happening in our culture, people trying to make it financially, alcohol sales thriving. What we do with the, the fear and the worry and the anxiety and the darkness matter, do we turn towards the light or do we just hide in the darkness? And for many of us, the temptation to escape to drugs or to alcohol or to things online or to unhealthy relationships, to escape into our home office and work 24-7, to avoid the reality of the world that we're facing. I want to tell you today that the hope that we have in Christ is for not just 2,000 years ago. It is for today. It should bring us joy, excitement, hope in the way that we have an experience. I want to talk about that hope because see, when you get to verse six, it talks about the light and the darkness. You want to know what the light and the darkness is? This is from the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Verse six, here's the, here's the light and the darkness. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Some of the great Christian men and women I have seen during the season have been able to have a peace that surpasses their understanding because the Lord is walking with them and whatever they're doing. Can I confess to you? I haven't always felt that in the last few months, even the last few weeks. And going, okay, God, what are you doing? And it's easy to turn to frustrations or to some of you turn to anger. Some of you turn to isolation. I don't know what you turn to. But what we do with that fear and that worry and anxiety matters. If our marriage is struggling to go to wise Christian counseling to seek help, if our career path is uncertain to reach out to a pastor or friends to be praying for you, if our financial situation is rotten to actually begin to prioritize God and our finances, financial peace is coming up again very soon. If we're struggling during this season to know that the light and the darkness is not our own volition, our own work ethic, but it's actually God Almighty. In fact, I don't know if you know this, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes this. Here's where we have hope today. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Leave that up there for just a moment. The word hope there is very significant. Our hope is in the living God. Here's what that word is in coin A Greek that the author is writing. It's uh, elpidzo. And elpidzo means to have hope or to expect, to trust with confidence. That you know and expect that this would occur. By the way, you could read other parts of the New Testament, like especially Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 11, and you can see that the word faith, uh, pisteo, and, and the word elpidzo, uh, which means hope, that they're sometimes even interchangeable. To say that we have hope in Christ is, is to say that we have faith in him. That to say that we have faith, that we have received salvation, means that we have hope in him. That, that you have hope during a season like this in the way that a normal human being would not. Not because darkness isn't real, but because as we'll look at Christmas Eve, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us today in all that we're facing. 
To give you a little bit of background on the type of hope that you have, it's not just some like emotionalized hope. It's very real hope that you can see biblically. I'm going to show you a couple ways. And the first one is this. You know, just mathematically, there was a professor named Peter Stoner in the 1950s at Pasadena City College. He was a mathematician, the head of the department, and he studied the, the, the probability that th- just these basic eight prophecies about the birth of Jesus would come to reality. I've got them listed there, these eight different prophecies, and there are others, but he just chose these eight. And I've got the scripture references there. If you want to take a picture or uh, online or in person, we'll leave them up there for a little bit. These eight Old Testament prophecies of the birth of Jesus, the nations blessed through Abraham, that God's covenant with Isaac's ancestor would occur. The nations would be blessed through Jacob's offspring. The king will come through Judah. David's offspring will have an eternal kingdom. A virgin will give birth and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. The Messiah will end up in Egypt and the Christ will be born in Bethlehem. See, the gospel of John, the the author, he had been taught as a child the prophecies of Isaiah and other places that these would occur. The probability that all just those eight would occur, those eight would occur in the person of Jesus, which they all did, the probability of that Peter Stoner estimated was 10, or excuse me, one times 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros, that there's a one in 17 zeros chance that this would all occur. And all of them were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That when we, say have, we have hope that we can expect and trust him, it is very real that we put our hope not in our relationships or our striving or our work ethic or our jobs or the government or any other place. We put our hope in Christ and him alone. We trust him. And so the question I want to ask you, what is the one thing? If you had to pick just one thing, what is the one thing you need hope for this Christmas? this December, as we close out this unbelievable year. See, because when we lose hope, we turn to despair. We feel overwhelmed. It gets dark in our lives. And I want to encourage you today that you can experience the hope uh, that we have in Christ. In fact, what I want to do now is I want to show you that if you have been hurting at all during the season or your loved ones have, I'm not making light of anything that you're going through at all. I believe that we are to cry out to the Lord. And I'll talk about that here in a moment. But I want to talk about the very real hope that we have in Christ that was prophetically spoken about that we have for us still today. And just three simple points using Isaiah chapter 40. Do you realize what the number one searched Bible verses in the entire Bible for 2020 and the crazy year we have had have been? It's these verses I'm about to read for you from Isaiah chapter 40 that talks about the hope and the strength that we have in God. I believe what we must do as Christians is turn to him rather than away from him. It's what we do with that fear and anxiety and worry that matters rather than just getting angry to turn to him, to get closer to him than we've ever gotten in our entire lives. Because can I tell you something? There is something happening in the American church right now that I have never seen in my entire life. People turning to God in a a way of desperation like they never have. And you may not have seen it. You may only be seeing the darkness right now. But I want to tell you, there are people being drawn to the light. And that when culture is actually on our side, Christmas and Easter, 
that many people may receive Christ for the first time this Christmas season, being drawn back to him, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Wonderful Counselor, in a season and a time in human history where we desperately need him. And Isaiah chapter 40 talks about the power and the authority with God in your corner. Here it is, if you want to experience the hope that we have in Christ, number one, you have to remember who brings it. Who brings the hope? We may look to to alcohol to escape, to avoid the reality, but if you want real hope, if you want to remember who brings it, Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 25 Uh, God says through the prophet Isaiah, to whom will you compare me? God's speaking. Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. See, during this time period, including Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 40 here, that the Jewish person would have understood this with contextual things that were happening in their culture, militarily and with the exile that had occurred. And as God often does, he uses these things happening in their context in their day to talk about future things, both at the same time, the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God at hand. But when he says this here in this passage, he says, who are you to compare yourself to me? They had been uh, complaining, God, we're in exile. We've lost our land. Where are you at, God? When are you going to come through for us? You been there? I've talked to many people who are. And it's often during those moments of darkness where we have the choice to get angry and hide in the dark corner or to turn and towards the light. And what I want to tell you is in this passage, we often think that we could somehow understand God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God that I, in my finite mind, could understand. We think that, well, you know, human beings are pretty intelligent today. But, but think about 2,000 years ago. We look at their understanding of scientific uh, issues, and we think, man, they were so ignorant. What are people going to say 2,000 years from now about our current level of intelligence? Now compare ourselves as human beings to an almighty God that created the universe. He says, I put the stars in the sky. You can't even understand the physics of that. He says, if you're comparing yourself to me, if you're playing in a basketball game, he is Michael Jordan and you are the little ant that's crawling around the ground. If if, if you are trying to understand him intellectually, he is Albert Einstein, and you are a paramecium. Do you know what a paramecium is? It is a one-celled living organism. I know this because I watched the movie Hook in the early 1990s. And then compared to God, I am like a one-celled living organism. Why do I think I could understand his ways? He goes on and he says this. Why do you complain, Jacob? Jacob and Israel are interchangeable. Why do you complain? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creators of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding no one can fathom. Today, he is not tired or weary, but his understanding no one can fathom. So what should we do as Christians then? We're supposed to just stick our heads in the sand, pretend like everything's great. Put on a smile, go around, tell people, I got the peace of the Lord. I'm all good. No, what does the Bible tell us to do? What are we to do when things are hard and difficult? We are to turn to him. He is the light. 
We're to, to call out to him in prayer. We're to get close to him. We're to become desperate for him. We, when things are hard and difficult and horrible, we're to be honest with him, even be frustrated and express our anger with him. The Bible even has a term to describe crying out to him. It's lamenting. In fact, in the Old Testament, they have an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations, teaching us how to cry out and lament, which, by the way, there are 22 chapters of the book of Lamentations. Do you know why there are 22 chapters? Because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and each chapter begins with another letter of the alphabet. So God is telling you that he's teaching you how to cry out and to lament to him from A to Z in your life. He can handle it. He's not afraid of it. He desires us to turn to him, the light and the darkness, rather than away from him. So number one, if you want to experience the hope of Christ, you have to remember God is the one who brings that hope. We need to, turn, we need to be praying for our friends and family like we've never prayed before. By the way, we have seen some uh, miraculous things happen in our church family just in the last few weeks. We had a family, and I won't go into the details, who their 13-year-old son had been in the hospital, and, and I mean, they thought any moment he could go. It wasn't COVID-related. And we prayed, and 600 guys in Fight Club prayed for him every single hour. Our staff prayed for him every single day, over and over. And leaders in our church prayed for him. And, and this, this child, he has made it. He's not only survived, he's awake and having a, a, what looks to be a full recovery. And I want to tell you, turning to God rather than away from him is the important time to do it, that we don't just know who brings the hope. We have to, number two, remember, we all lose it. We all lose hope at times. You're going to have doubt. You're going to have questions. It's what we do in those moments that matter. Look as he goes on in Isaiah. These are the most searched verses in the Bible app in 2020. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Anybody feeling weak or powerless today? Feeling overwhelmed, desperate, wondering, God, where are you? Number verse 30, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Even those like my kids with lots of energy, he's saying, can get tired. Even young men can stumble and fall. If you have been experiencing that in a way you've never have before, look at verse 31. But those who hope, those who hope in the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, those who hope in him will renew their strength. Did you hear that? Those who hope in him will renew their strength. We're all going to have moments where we have lost hope. And we have questions. But what we do in those moments is what matters. Do we turn to him rather than away from him? I told you we need to get closer to Christ than we ever have in our entire lives. And I want to tell you, I know that from personal experience. Many of you know our story of losing a son who lived two weeks. But when he was in utero, when we found out about his condition, that he had a genetic disorder, he could pass at any moment, began just praying. Praying in a way that I never had before. And the anger hadn't come yet. That would come later. But in that moment, I would, I would feel this just like hopelessness. Like, how am I going to get through this? How is our family going to get through this? What, what are you going to, God, I don't know what to do. And as we prayed, 
I fasted in ways, and I'm not using that as a way to brag. I'm saying, I, I'm sad to say I'd never done this before in this kind of way. I just prayed and fasted, and I saw God show up again, and my wife saw God show up again, and our family saw God provide for us in that time, even though he passed, and we did not get our prayers answered the way we wanted. We saw him answer those prayers in a way that made an impact for all of eternity that if you are in that season of losing hope, turn to him in, de- in your desperation. If your marriage is your mess, if your finances are irreparable, if you've done terrible at this season of school and you still have finals coming, he may not supernaturally give you an A, but he can give you the peace that surpasses understanding the face, the issues that you're dealing with in your life. Rather than turning into your, your, your addictive habits and your sexual relationships and the other things that you use to dis- distract yourself and escape in the darkness, to turn to the light during this time rather than away from him. He is the one that brings hope, and it is for you. There is hope. There is hope. You know, sometimes I think we fail to see God's great plan. And and when we say that we can't compare ourselves to God, like we don't even fathom it. In each of those time periods, in their context, they thought, man, God, where are you in this particular thing? Have you ever read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17? We don't have time to read it. It's the genealogy of the birth of Jesus. Boring. But you know what you see in there? 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 generations from David to the exile. 14 generations from the exile to the birth of Jesus. Do you think he had a plan? He knew for thousands of years the moment in time where he, he would hear humanity's lamenting their cries for help, and he will send the Redeemer, Emmanuel, God with us, so that we could experience that for hundreds of years, these prophetic words about the coming of Messiah would all be completed in the person of Jesus, that there was a one to the 10th to the 17th power that all of these eight prophecies alone would point to Christ, and they all do. When we turn to him in our hope, he's going to respond and answer And some of us, number three, if we want to experience the hope of Christ, we have to claim it. We have to reclaim that hope that we have in him. We're not going to let the darkness win. Because I don't know if you know the end of the story, but the enemy is eventually defeated. And even a global pandemic, the way the enemy would like to use it, God is going to use it for good. Even a horrible, terrible thing like this, that God doesn't want all the the suffering and all this stuff, but it's the reality of this side of heaven because of sin entering in the world and all those sorts of things. He is still with us. And one day we will have be right with him. And there'll be the light, there'll be no more darkness, by the way, and heaven and earth come together. And God will be at the center. We'll have perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with human beings. We will have right communion with everyone. It will be paradise. It says there's no more tears. But this side of heaven, we get glimpses of the light and the darkness. We get glimpses of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven at hand. And it's what we do now in the spiritual battle, these times that we live in, that truly matters. So I believe many Christians need to reclaim the hope that we have in Christ and live out of the power and authority that we read about in Isaiah chapter 40. Is he a mighty God? Let let me tell you, the the big verse, the big kicker comes here. If we're going to remember to reclaim it, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it ends. It says, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Uh, Did you catch that? That you could run and you'll never tire. That you could walk into 2021 and you could, no matter what you face, 
You're not going to pass out and faint because the Lord is going to supply you not with perfect nature of everything you dreamed of for your life, but he's going to give you this Holy Spirit to walk along with you in the things that we're facing today, that we could be the type of people that have peace that surpasses the understanding of our culture around us. And people go, what, what's going on there? They can see light in the darkness. It's obvious to them because it's dark. And so I share all that to challenge some of the Christians in the room because, you know, I always, I, I think of that movie, Remember the Titans? You remember that movie? It's old now, but you remember Rev in that movie? And he cites this verse and he's, he starts saying, he's like, I'm going to soar on wings like eagles, y'all, like eagles, y'all. You remember that? No, you want me to sing some more? I can sing some more if you'd like. No, 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 no. I shouldn't have said that with Jenny and James here. But I would tell you that like, we will literally, you're not just going to walk through it. He says, you're going to soar on wings like eagles. I told you I watched Hook as a kid. I always wanted to fly like Peter Pan. He says, when God is in your life, we will be able to do things that you couldn't do in the natural. That you wouldn't be able to face the things that we're facing in our world without him walking alongside of you. You're going to get anger. You're going to turn and, and let it out on people. You're going to experience that if you don't turn to him and let it out on him and allow him to give you the peace that surpasses understanding. See, the hope we have in Christ, the reality of it is very real. It's not just an ethereal thing. It's using an analogy of light in the darkness to talk about very real hope that we have in Christ because of his birth. Because he chose to come into the world to live during a difficult time, offer his life as a living sacrifice so that all could draw, draw near to him. And if we get close to him, I can tell you during that season of desperation when we were losing a child, we saw so many people come to Christ different parts of the world that read my wife's blog at that time and the most horrific time in our life, we saw so many people come to Christ because here's what God does in our desperation. You see, Isaiah chapter 40, when it talks about soaring on wings like eagles, the chapter right after it in chapter 41, in verse 17, it's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. It says this in verse 17, it says, the, when the mighty God, hand of God is with you, the poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them, he says. The God of Israel will not forsake them. I want to tell you today that because Christ was forsaken for us, he will not forsake you. He will walk with you, face the troubles and the hardships. That family I described had a 13-year-old boy in the hospital that was on the deathbed and that not only survived and is recovering, that, that they turned to God in a way that most people wouldn't do. And they were crying out to people for prayer. And there was all kinds of fear and anger and anxiety and worry. And when they turned to the Lord, they were parched and he provided for them. He did not forsake them. But look at verse 18. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs where there is no water in the desert. He says, I will provide. And then I love this, is my favorite part, verse 19. I will put in the desert, the cedar, the big tree, and the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. See, this passage, we were going to name our son that we lost, Jackson uh, Mark Hoosman. My grandfather's name is Mark, and it was going to be his middle name. We ended up giving him two middle names. His name was Jackson Oliver Mark Hoosman because of this passage. Because that an olive tree could grow up in the barren wasteland, in the desert, where everything is parched and nothing lives or survives. 
And I can tell you, if you're in the desert today, spiritually speaking, if you turn to him in desperation, cry out, share your frustrations, anger, lament to him, he will be near from you, not far from you. And even though you may not hear the audible voice or feel or experience him in the way that you think you might, I'm telling you today, scripture is true to us just as it was 2,000 years ago. He is with us today. He is Emmanuel, God with us in our pain and our suffering. He goes on, he says, I will set junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together. So verse 20, so that people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. If you lack hope this December because of the birth of Jesus, you need to come to the great hope giver, the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the wonderful counselor. He is the light in the darkness. It's why the apostle John wrote, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And in the pain and the isolation and the experiences of the season of life, I want to tell you the darkness shall not win. The enemy does not win in the end. Because of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God was given to us as followers of him today that we can experience him near us, not far from us, that we will spend eternity with him in paradise. But today we have this moment in time to do spiritual battle, to be lights in the darkness. We are called to follow Jesus in his role as the light in the darkness, that when you go out into the world with Christmas, culture is actually on our side to begin to talk to people, not just invite them to a Christmas service, but actually talk to them about your faith. Share with them what the Lord is doing in your life. I'm telling you guys, it is real hope. It is tangible. It is helping people who are lost. There are people who are drug addicted, who are addicted to alcohol or cigarettes, or they're addicted to pornography, or they're addicted, and they are drawing away from those because they're tired of the darkness and the shame and the guilt. They're coming back to the light. And they're saying, God, I want to be, I have more of you. I'm not going to run from you anymore. I know I'm getting hyped up, but I want to tell you because the spirit of God is real and he's speaking to you. And some of you are going to spend the rest of your life in the darkness, in fear and anxiety and worry, getting angry. And I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that way. He loves you. He desires you. He wants to be with you today. For the Christians in the room, let's get desperately close to Jesus during this season. Let's cry out to him. Let's study his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's fast. Let's meditate on his word. Let's go out and talk to people about our faith in meaningful ways. Let's heal the, the hurting and the broken during the season to meet their needs in physical and spiritual ways any way we possibly can because it is needed. And I'm telling you, the revolution, the revival that we talked about for five weeks is happening and you could be a part of it. And for some of us, the beginning moment of that is to not live in, in despair anymore, to begin to cry out to him, to lament and invite him fully into your life, to receive the peace that surpasses understanding, the wonderful counsel, the mighty God to overcome the things in your life. And you no longer have to be alone anymore. He is with you in everything that you are facing, that he is the light. Be drawn to him today and surrender your life totally, fully to him. Repent of anything in your life. And I'm telling you, he will walk with you. And the joy that you have in your life, it can never be surpassed. The moments where I'm actually following God in my life are the greatest moments I've ever experienced in all of my 40 years on this planet. And I want to tell you, we need more of that, not less of that. And it's going to happen in your life. But you have to repent, receive, and believe his good news for you. Pray with me. God, I pray for the Christians in the room. God, I, I, 
I don't want this to be missed with my emotion today because I know that you are working in someone's life right now that needs to transform, that needs to change. They know about the light. They know about your birth, Jesus, and they need to come home. They need to repent of the things in their life. So whether it's for the first time or whether you just know as a Christian, you have gotten off track and you need to confess that right now and you want to go back to the Lord and you just want to surrender to him. I didn't do this at the other services, but I just want you in the quietness of this moment, I want you to raise your hand for just a second and I'm going to pray. We're going to pray together. I'm not going to make you do anything else, but I want you to acknowledge it. There's no shame in turning towards Christ. There is only joy. And so if you would like to surrender your life fully to the Lordship of Jesus on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand nice and high and we're just going to do something. We're going to pray together. One, Jesus loves you. Two, his birth is the light and the darkness for your life. Three, his crucifixion and resurrection is for you today. You claim the hope that you have in him. Raise your hand nice and high so I can see you. I see you in the back. I see you right here, man. I see you down front here as well. Those three people there. I miss people over here on the left. I see you over here now as well. And the Lord knows what's going on in your life. Anybody in the back, if I miss, help me out, guys. So those people, okay, you can put them down. Now I just pray this with me. God, you know what's going on in those lives. For the people online right now, that maybe they raise their hand right now in the quietness of their home and their apartment. God, we pray this, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, God, for trying to do life without you. For trying to strive harder to make things happen. We repent of anything in our life that is not of you. We receive your forgiveness and grace and mercy, and we surrender our whole life to your Lordship, Jesus. Use us. And now, God, as followers of Jesus, empower us with your Holy Spirit. Make us into the light that others could see, the person you created us to be. We surrender our whole lives and existence to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.